0: And that sometimes surprises people of like, how am I you know, gaining weight or why am I losing weight, depending on your goals? Um, sometimes people just don't totally grasp the difference that their, cal- their calorie expenditure is mm-hmm. at.
1: We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Vickio, well placed! It has been my pleasure and my honor to represent you all. On this show, we talk about so many of the changes that come with going from being a competitive athlete to not one. No discussion of moving on in a healthy way into the next life phase is complete, however, without going into fitness and nutrition. The fitness and nutrition issues that come with this transition are often, once again, overlooked and unexpected. Sometimes they're even addressed in really messed up ways. Think about the more gossipy sports entertainment sites that like to draw all kinds of negative attention to the former soccer star who gained 30 pounds. But really, when it comes to diet and physical health, The shift that occurs with athletic retirement is a serious one. Level of activity changes massively. You're going from working out six days a week, two hours a day, being pushed intensely by coaches and trainers with clear goals in mind, to maybe playing rec league or squeezing in runs on days of the week when you can find the time just to break a sweat. If you're a D1 or pro athlete, you're getting all sorts of food provided for you. So you don't even have to think much about the concept of cooking or what you should and shouldn't be putting in your body. Athletes at times don't even realize the extent of the resources and structures in place that are all crafted with the mission of keeping their body in optimal form. So when you turn in your equipment, graduate and get a job, maybe (laughs) you might find yourself, with nutrition and fitness challenges that you had never been confronted with before. It can feel like a lot has just fallen out right from under you. Your schedule isn't the same. You might not have access to a gym. You might not be motivated to work out. You might not even know what to do for a workout. Really. You have decisions to make around food, grocery shopping, cooking, eating out. It is very, very likely that your body is going to change. How do we make that idea less scary? How do we make it so those changes don't mean neglecting important elements of fitness and nutrition altogether? Today's guest has sought to answer those questions and more through her sports, academic, and professional career. Lauren Link is a registered dietitian and board-certified specialist in sports dietetics who has really spent a lot of time and put a lot of intentional focus on the competitive athlete to normal, real-world human transition. I got to speak with her about her journey into these interests, her book, The Healthy Former Athlete, and her work as Director of Sports Nutrition at Purdue University. Um, well, not to be a creepy stalker, although it's kind of my job, Uh, congrats on, <laughs> congrats on graduating. for uh, thank you, got, you. You got your master's, right? I
0: did. Yep. Slowly, but surely while working full time. So I was glad to have it done finally.
1: Oh my gosh. So master's in what specifically? Uh, health and kinesiology. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I was excited. I'm <laughs> now like,
0: don't know what to do with my free time.
1: No, now you got to go for like the PhD. I feel like you're just you don't have enough Like qualifications for sure, that's what everyone
0: keeps saying. Like, oh, so you're gonna do PhD next? I'm like, no freaking
1: chance. Um, well, I do want to be respectful of your time and I really appreciate you carving some out for me. I know it's pretty chaotic at this time of year for people, so yeah, if you're ready, we can jump right in. It's nothing too crazy, yeah. Cool, I'm good, yeah. So, I guess just to start off, what sparked your interest in nutrition and fitness. When did that light bulb moment happen for you?
0: Yeah, so I think probably sometime in high school. And actually, I know when it really sparked was um, my mom had a heart attack, and she is fine. Um, but that was eye opening to see family members who would struggled with weight, and then to have a really real per- repercussion from that um, kind of got me thinking about you know how diet. And weight and things like that influence health. Um, so that kind of sparked my initial interest in nutrition. And then, having been an athlete my whole life, and was an athlete at Purdue as well. So when I got there and got into the dietetics program, pretty quickly knew that I would have liked to do something with sports nutrition, although it like hardly existed. Uh, certainly not in the capacity that it does now. Um, But I knew that that was kind of the ultimate goal. Uh, I just did not imagine getting back into it as quickly as I did.
1: And yes, I'm going to ramble off your qualifications. So bear with me. Um, Just completed your master's in health and kinesiology. You're a registered dietitian and a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics. You're the director of sports nutrition at Purdue. Am I missing anything? I think those are the big ones. (laughs) Um, And in your career so far, thinking about the scope of this podcast, you've directed a lot of your focus to fitness and health issues affecting athletes transitioning out of their sport. What made you want to hone in on this space specifically?
0: I mean, obviously, I would say the majority of our efforts at Purdue and within our sports nutrition department are obviously focused on helping our athlete kind of in the moment or, you know, succeed as an athlete and as a college student. Um, But I was finding more and more that student athletes were coming, either coming to me towards the end of their senior season, or even when they got back, if they were in town visiting, saying, oh my gosh, like this is hard. And I had experienced that as well. uh, And I was you know, pretty equipped to deal with it as a dietetics major and then a practicing dietitian. Um, But I just remember thinking the year after I finished playing soccer, like how strange this is. This is such a weird transition and really nobody prepares you for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, I started blogging before blogging was a thing. I think I had like seven readers or something, Mm -hmm. um, including my mom, I'm sure. And so I blogged about it. Just my experience with transition, um, but didn't really ever revisit it until a few years later when I did hear my athletes telling me like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to eat. I don't know how to manage my weight. I don't know what to do for a workout anymore. I'm so unmotivated. Um, And so at that point at Purdue, myself and our leadership director and one of our academic advisors, we came together and said, we should really be doing more about this topic. Um, So we created a program called BLAST, which stands for Boiler Life After Sport. And in that process, I remember doing a Google search thinking like, okay, let me pull up some resources in this space Uh, because, you know, there's got to be something that we could provide these athletes to send them kind of out the door with. And what I found was that there was essentially nothing. Um, And that has changed a little bit, although still there's not a lot in the space. And so that kind of really prompted me to say, you know what, I've toyed with the idea of writing a book about this topic. I think I'm really going to do
1: it. She did do it. Link wrote a book called The Healthy Former Athlete, Nutrition and Fitness Advice for the Transition from Elite Athlete to Normal Human. It gets into pretty much anything you could imagine in thinking about the athletic retirement transition, from the kind of harsh new realities calorie-burning-wise to setting new lifestyle goals to smart grocery shopping. So I read the book and felt like I identified with just about every other sentence Um, What got me right off the bat, because it just felt so accurate in thinking about my college soccer experience, at least, was Link talks about how as you approach retirement, you will probably fall into one of two groups. The first group thinks, I'll still work out just as much after I'm done playing my sport. After all, I love working out and I want to maintain my body composition. Exclamation point, smile with that. And then Link goes to pretty much just throw a dagger right into that balloon of enthusiasm. There's something in your adult real-world life now that's going to be sucking a lot of time and energy. Ding, ding, ding. It's called a job. And it will probably hamper your ability to work out, at least in the ways that you might be envisioning. Could be intensity-wise, maybe the actual fraction of your day that you get to commit to working out or maybe it's the accessibility to a gym. The second group thinks, when I'm done with my sport, you won't be able to pay me to get off the couch. I'm going to finally enjoy the r and R I I never got before. Link points out that this group is generally closer to right and usually that's not good <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, reading it for me has opened up my eyes, whether I liked it or not, and it's affected my habits since i put the book down. For example, Link has this whole chapter on hydration and reading that made me realize I'm really not consuming as much water as I probably should. And so this app, like for example, when I'm in this deep cave of podcasting and I totally forget about human needs... This app will remind me, oh, Hannah, drink water, probably. Um, Also, in terms of my workouts, I've been adding in even more strength training. That's something that Link will be touching on later. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you really just answered my third question, which was, um, yeah, it really feels like athlete to real-world transition has been an overlooked topic in the fitness and nutrition world, or it's kind of clumped together with other things. Um and I guess do you have any opinions on why you think that is and why when you went to go look at resources that there weren't that many out there?
0: Yeah, I think I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, I think for the professionals that are operating in the space A, it's a busy lifestyle. I mean, there's a ton going on. Athletics is crazy, like just craziness all the time, Um, fast pace and so forth. So I think just so much time and effort has to go into how do we optimize their performance while they're here and optimize their health while they're here, that it does kind of take a backseat. Not that it should or shouldn't necessarily, but um, so I think a lot of times it has just been an afterthought because so much energy has to go into performing at the highest level um but also I think I would add to that I think it's more and more a problem not that it wasn't a problem in the past and there's probably you know athletes in their 50s 60s 70s who would say I struggle with the transition too but I think what especially collegiate athletics has become is just so much different Mm -hmm. um and I honestly I feel pretty strongly that a lot of the kind of perks that come along with college athletics these days actually set our athletes up for less success in the transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like, you know, from my end with nutrition, we provide so much food now. When I was an athlete, we might've gotten the occasional granola bar, you know, Mm -hmm. if you were starving. Um, Now, because of lax NCAA rules um, and just resources put into these departments, we can provide all kinds of food, which is great. But what does that mean on the flip side? It means that athletes don't have to cook and don't have to grocery shop nearly as much. Um, And that's just one example. But we're providing our athletes with so many resources um, that I think in some ways it's actually made them less prepared for some of that real life stuff that most college students are figuring out during
1: those years. And you mentioned BLAST, which is boiler life after sport, right? Is that what it's yep. for? Yeah. It doesn't seem like this is a thing in collegiate athletics that not a lot of universities or colleges have transitional programs like this. And I'm assuming you talk, obviously, about health and fitness. But what other kinds of work happens in the program?
0: Yeah, so I would say that I think more – and more programs are starting to look at transitional programs, but I do think it's still very new. Um, and I, I have always felt that we have one of the more all-encompassing ones in the country, um, even compared to those other schools who who have started to add them. Um, but BLAST has four pillars, as we like to term it. And one of those is nutrition and fitness, of course. Uh, the others are financial literacy,
1: mm.
0: professional development, and mental health and identity.
1: Wow. Yeah, those are, those are the big ones. Okay, I need to take the financial. I need to go sign up and get enrolled in Purdue so I can uh, take the financial literacy course. Um, you re- okay, I don't know if there's an answer to this because it could just be so based on the individual athlete. But I was wondering if you've noticed any broad trends with regards to which athlete communities may face more difficulties nutrition fitness wise transitioning out of sport than others I was just thinking about how for example it's likely going to be easier to find consistent rec league soccer or basketball than it is to find baseball or wrestling I don't know I just was wondering if you've if you have any insight into that
0: yeah that's a really good question I I don't know that I have like you know hard and fast answers necessarily, but I do think, I mean, within each kind of area, so like nutrition and fitness, I think an area, I think it's harder for someone, for instance, like an offensive lineman who's had to keep a massive amount of weight on their frame. Um, and usually they have to really try to do that. Um, so I think they have a harder maybe transition in some ways around nutrition and fitness. Um, but that's not always the case. You know, Mm -hmm. some athletes that have tried to maintain that really high body weight find that it almost like falls off when they don't try anymore. Um, so I think there's always going to be kind of outliers, but I think you make a really good point. I always think about how strange it would be for the sports like, um, diving and (laughs) football. And I mean, there's, there's others out there where you will literally never play them again. Um, not that you can't play pickup football in your front yard, but you will never put on pads and go hit somebody as hard as you can physically hit them. Um, you know, you'll never be a quarterback playing at the same speed. And I mean, there's just so many things that are different. Um, when I talked to former divers and I had never thought about this cause I'm like, oh, I mean, you can go jump off the diving board at the pool. Um, but they essentially say like, oh my gosh, like even a few months out, oftentimes they're unable to do those dives. It just takes so much practice and, you know, so much time goes into it that realistically they they'll never dive off the 10 meter again, unless they're just casually, you know, kind of jumping into the pool or whatever. Um, so those are just a couple examples. Mm -hmm. And so I feel lucky for sure. Like soccer is one that is a sport where I can, I do go play in a rec league, you know? Um, and no, it's not the same, but it's in a lot of ways similar. And so I I think that part with identity could definitely be hard. Um, And I think there's so many examples of certain sports or certain situations that might be more prone to a struggle. But I would also say that there's definitely no hard cut rule of these people will struggle more or
1: less. Mm -hmm. And I guess just to to tease your book a little (laughs) bit uh, to our listeners, if you could pinpoint, you know, either the biggest thing or maybe just two things that sneak up on athlete health in post sports life, uh, what do you think it would be?
0: Hmm. I think. I mean, I guess specifically from a nutrition and fitness standpoint, especially since that's what a majority of the book is—is is that's my profession. I think what people don't necessarily expect is is kind of the combination of. You know, Maybe your diet changes a little bit, but you don't change your diet much. And then your activity, maybe you stay active, but it's really hard to stay active to the same extent that you were. Mm -hmm. Even if you work out the same amount of time, which would still be kind of crazy. Let's say you're still doing two hours of workouts a day. Well, it's so much different when a coach isn't pushing you and a coach isn't making you go as hard and as long. And maybe you have more time between reps. And so I think what people don't necessarily think about is just like how much that little difference can add up over time. Um, so I think that's one thing and that sometimes surprises people of like, how am I you know, gaining weight or why am I losing weight depending on your goals? Um, sometimes people just don't totally grasp the difference that their, cal- their calorie expenditure is mm-hmm. at. Um, and I think kind of within that same topic, what I often see is that weight is not, Weight doesn't always even change, um, but oftentimes body composition does, which isn't a bad thing. And it's not probably realistic for most people to maintain their body composition that they had as an elite athlete. But sometimes that kind of sneaks up on people too of, oh, you know, I jumped on the scale and the number looks the same, but I feel way different, or I feel like I look different Mm -hmm. or these clothes fit differently. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Like I said at all, I think that's probably the most realistic situation, um, but I think it's just good to be aware of that that's going to happen. And that's why I'm so big on like continuing to do some kind of strengthening exercises. Doesn't mean you need to jump under a bar and squat 300 pounds. Um, but I think what I see a lot is people just totally scrap lifting because it's kind of a pain in the butt if you don't have a facility to do it at. And that's oftentimes where people are like, man, like, I don't have time for that. I'll do it later. And that sometimes adds up more than people realize.
1: Yeah, I was going to say you you dedicated a whole chapter to muscle loss and so even if you are trying to, you know, just go on a run every day and be active post athlete life, that that's not going to do it if we're talking about yeah, the body composition changing.
0: Right. And stretching. I mean, that's a whole other thing where I realize people like just really don't stretch or cool down or warm up. Um it's something a coach always made you do. Mm-hmm, that's so interesting. But when you don't have to do it anymore, I'm the worst at it. I like touch my toes and then get on the treadmill. Um, so yeah, I'm like never warming up and cooling down. I need to do better.
1: Going off of this, this might be one of the weirder questions we've ever gotten. So we'll see. Okay. You are stranded in some bizarre world with a bunch of former athlete zombies, and you are their leader. In this alternate universe, there are only three exercise options to choose from. CrossFit, SoulCycle, and Orange Theory. Purely from a this-is-going-to-keep-me-fit and uninjured standpoint, where do you lead everyone?
0: Hmm. I have to go, and I'm going to admit I have not done any of those three things, but I'm familiar with them. I'm probably going Orange Theory. I think from what I know it's a nice balance of workout in regards to like some strengthening activities, um, cardio, like gets your heart rate up. Um, whereas soul cycle to my knowledge is, you know, just the kind of cardio piece, um, with the cycling and the spin class aspect of it and CrossFit. I think CrossFit can be a really good workout from what I know and from people I talk to, but I do think you said, you know, like try not to get injured. I think that's not always the case there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and it's obviously like really strength-focused versus as much cardio. I know, I know they do some. Um, so that based on my limited knowledge, that's where I'm going because I think what I know of it, it offers the most kind of balanced approach.
1: Balance is key, guys. It's a concept Link emphasizes a ton in her book. Like she mentioned, ideally, working out should not just be cardio every day. It should include strength training. It should also include activities that are fun and get you excited, kind of like how your sport was hopefully back when you played it. Same idea goes for eating. Balance in the way your plate looks at mealtimes. Link actually gives a helping hand with that. In the back of her book are a bunch of easy recipes. Also, just balance as a human with time for work, time for yourself, time for loved ones. What's your what would you say is your favorite part of your job? Which might be a hard question to answer because there's more than one thing, but yeah.
0: Um I it is kind of hard to choose, but I like I like that every day is different. I think that's a nice aspect of sports nutrition in general. Um and I just like I really like working with the collegiate population um i think it's just a a really influential time in their lives where you know they are learning those life skills and they're kind of becoming an adult Um, so i think it's a really influential time and i have always really enjoyed working with the kind of variety of people and experiences and sports and so forth that collegiate offers
1: Mm -hmm. final question for you Um, okay we jump in a time machine back to 2011. You're graduating from undergrad. <laughs> You've hung up the cleats. Uh, what's something you wish you could have told yourself about post-athlete life? Oh, that's a good one.
0: Huh. Oh. I think I think what I would say, because, again, I was more equipped than most in regards to nutrition, fitness, etc., I think I would maybe warn myself (laughs) how hard it was going to be without my teammates. Mm. Um, that was always the hardest part to me. We were a really close team. Um, you know, I felt like they were all my best friends. Um, and you get just kind of spoiled and used to being surrounded by your best friends all the time. (laughs) We lived together, we practiced together, we traveled together. Um, So that was really hard. And I think I did a pretty good job of staying in touch with people. And, you know, I think you you do what you can to manage that. But I think I would have warned myself to be more prepared for that aspect of the transition.
1: Chapter 12, Going at it Alone. Quote, another common hurdle retired athletes encounter is loneliness. End quote. It's tough when people get in cars graduation day and disperse across the country. Staying connected to your old friends and trying to make new ones in unfamiliar environments takes effort, but it is incredibly important. Having been at a small liberal arts college campus where all my teammates were a five minute walk away, I really cannot emphasize this one enough. There are plenty of ways to be a social creature post sports And no, they don't all have to involve unhealthy drinking routines. In wrapping this episode up, it's the start of a new year, a time of turning the page. We're goal setting. We're thinking about how we can work out without going to the gym where we'll be sweated on by a bunch of strangers who are at the start of their 2020 new year, new me thing. Seems like an opportune time to maybe check out Link's book, The Healthy Former Athlete. Information on how to get that is on runalongpodcast.com under additional media, but hint, you can buy it out of Barnes & Noble if those even exist around you anymore, or on Amazon. Thank you to Lauren Link for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Hope to see you next time.